Activia offers a range of yogurts which are a delicious way to look after your gut health. From the fruit range with carefully selected ingredients to no added sugar and 0% fat offering, as well as a cereals range, there's an Activia for everyone. Made with a unique blend of five ferments creating an irresistibly creamy texture, each pot of Activia is a source of calcium, making it the perfect addition to your daily routine. Activia helps support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Summer is sizzling and so is the Easy Living Furniture Summer Sale which has just been extended for a limited time only. Don't miss out on the sale of the season at Easy Living Furniture. Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie Easy Living Furniture. Luxury furnishings. Affordable luxury. You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. This is an Irish independent podcast. Welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry. Folks, if you find yourself barreling towards burnout or have an apathy for life and a lack of joy de vivre, then fear not, you are not alone. In his new book, Languishing, How to Feel Alive Again in a World That Wears Us Down, Professor Emeritus at Emory University, sociologist Dr. Corey Keyes investigates languishing and why so many are affected by it. Corey, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you for having me. We're delighted to have you on. What part of the world are you in? In North Carolina, in the United States, of course. Oh, fabulous. Lovely part of the world. So look, let's get stuck straight into it. I think this is a fascinating topic. I think languishing is a really interesting area that our listeners are going to love listening to. Remind us, what is languishing? Let's start there, because a lot of people won't know. Well, it's been described as the middle child, somewhere in between depression and true or good mental health. Uh, in part because lots of people in the world are free of a mental disorder. But the question is, are they truly mentally healthy? And languishing answers that question, no. A lot of people aren't mentally ill, but they aren't mentally healthy. And languishing is that in-between. And if you were to describe it how it feels, most people would say it feels like I'm numb, empty, stuck, or stagnant. Those, those seem to be the most common descriptors. So it's a it's a place where you don't feel sad, you don't feel happy, you just feel more or less numb or nothing. And a lot of people do feel that way, don't they? There was a New York Times article a couple of years ago, it was the most read article of that year, and it was around languishing. So people across the world, they obviously, they feel these these feelings and they feel these sensations all the time. Yes, and it's interesting, Carl, you're even using the word feeling. Um, it's hard to describe this condition because um, it's, it's, it's almost ironic. You feel as if you feel nothing, and it's, it's a really a strange condition. Um, but our studies have found that it's really quite common, almost so common that you would almost think, is this a normal part of life? And I'd like to... The, your listeners to realize that no, this is not a normal part of life. 
because this condition of being in between or empty and numb and stagnant um, is a rather dangerous place to spend too much time. There's an Irish word which I'll, I'll fill you in on for that sensation, and it's called blah. We call it blah. We're just kind of blah. Uh, and unfortunately, lots of people go around all day long and all week long feeling blah. Um, it's not quite as good as the quote in the book, though, the Henry David uh, Thoreau quote, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. But it does show you that sense of it is very common. A lot of people do suffer from this. And it's important to talk about it. Yes. And it's also important that your listeners know that um, as I was trying to understand this condition, both in myself and in other people, I dug around a little bit into history. And then I found that this condition isn't just a modern predicament, this, this life of quiet despair or emptiness. It goes very, very far back into human history, so far back that, believe it or not, it once was the eighth deadly sin called acedia. So it's been with us a very long time. And the fact that it was once considered a deadly sin suggests just how dangerous it can be because it tempted our, our ancestors to do some rather um, unsavory or unchristian or un unspiritual things in their lives. In today's modern world, it, it tempts us, if you will, to sort of give up on life, so to speak. And of course, through the pandemic, it was a leveler, really, wasn't it? It leveled all of us, rich, poor, middle class. We all were controlled by greater powers, i.e. what we could and couldn't do. Yeah. It's that sensation when there was lockdowns and when we were concerned about the world. We all across the board were equal with regards to how the being being able to feel it, weren't we? Indeed, I love the I love the word leveler. As a sociologist, this we understand that sometimes um, tragedies and 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 community traumas come along that equalize people or reduce economic and social differences. And those are very important times in our lives, where we suffer from a very common condition, where. We forget our differences and realize we have to work together to solve a big problem. And I think, ironically, it took this pandemic to make more people feel languishing so that it made it um, important that we discuss this rather, shall we call it, invisible condition. But it was a great leveler. It took from us a lot of things that we took for granted, like our connections, our work, our sense of community and belonging. And I, I hope we don't forget that too quickly. And let's get to know you a little bit now and your own background. Uh, give us a sense of that, about how your life changed at the age of 12. Mm. Tell us a bit more about that. Yes, it, it, I, I weave a bit of my own story into this book, and some have, have reviewed it and said it's part memoir. Um, that was not my intention. It, it, my, my, my point was to that this was a very personal journey. Uh, becoming a scientist was my way of, um, of equipping myself with the tools that, so that I could understand this, this condition, not only in myself, but I believe that it was not uh, something that I alone suffered from. And at the age of 12, I was finally adopted by my grandparents um, and taken out of a, a very, shall we say, horrible situation where I was not flourishing, that I was languishing severely. And suddenly, 
there I was in, in this peaceful, loving home. And, and I, I, I would sit quietly for after a day of hard work and, or maybe turn on the radio. And suddenly I, 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 would, I would feel this kind of ghost come over me this fog, and, and, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was languishing. And one day I was listening to this uh, radio show of a concert by Jackson Brown. And, and it was the first time I ever heard his very popular song called Running on Empty. And those lyrics spoke to me very personally because he talked about this running on empty, going somewhere, but not knowing where you're going and you just keep going. Uh, and moving because you it's better to move and distract yourself than to sit quietly and let this this demon if you will <laughs> sort of haunt you and that was my first uh encounter with languishing and it was not a pleasant one but listening to that song made me feel understood for the first time carl i'm bringing us then in terms of uh, invisibility. I know that's something that you talk about. You, you talk about in the book and your own personal feeling of, of invisibility. That people who say invisible, they stay in the background because they feel unseen. Bring us there a little bit. Yeah, I, I think this issue of invisibility is another word for um, um, describing languishing in a in a way that I think when we're languishing, we 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 feel like a part of us has been lost. And I talk about the. Um, um, this situation of, of demoralization that's happening in 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 some professional corners of the world, like in the medical profession in the United States, there's a lot of, of commentary right now of doctors writing about the fact that they can't practice their profession in a way that expresses the values and the deeply held commitments that led them to take on this profession, and so they're having to cut corners and act in a way that violates their own values and commitments. And I think that's what I mean when the world wears us down. It doesn't permit us to live according to the values that give our life meaning. And when we start to cut corners and do things that are unethical, if you will, and, 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 and we can't live up to the deepest and most meaningful parts of our lives and commitments, we start to feel like we're dying inside. And people talk about this death of their soul. And when that happens and you look in the mirror and you don't see the person that you used to be or the person you want to be, I think that is the way in which many of us are disappearing into the background, becoming ghosts in this life. And it's a very haunting image because I know what that feels like myself. And I, it's interesting to me, it's not just people who are living with less education and lower incomes who are feeling this. These are people at the highest levels of education practicing profession, professions where they should feel like their life has purpose and meaning. But the conditions in, under which they're working right now, they're describing it as they're dying inside. And we call that demoralization. And is, it's also fair to say, I think that people who are like that then, they're almost targeted by the self-help industry sometimes and the false promises built around that, aren't they? Yes. And I, and I want to be careful because I do think some people are writing these books uh, about things like exhaustion and burnout that are, are very, there's an attempt here to try to help people. But, and, but I'm not sure we've, 
we've been putting our finger on on the problem. And I'm not saying I put my finger on the one and only problem, but it's a big problem that we haven't talked about. And I think we mistake languishing for a lot of things that it is not. It's not burnout, but it feels a lot like burnout. But if you've been um, under a lot of stress in your lives and your work, I think you could end up feeling pretty empty. So it's not to say that burnout might not lead to it. Um, but, and I think the the idea that there's simple fixes, Carl, I, I, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to tell people, just change your mind and everything will be good and the conditions around you will change. Like, just count your blessings every day. And there's nothing wrong with practicing gratitude. There's nothing wrong with trying to be more optimistic. There's nothing wrong with trying to change your mind and be more hopeful. I'm not saying those are wrong, but frankly, I, those things target our, our emotions and make us feel good, if only temporarily. I am trying to get people to start focusing on how they're functioning in life rather than prioritizing feeling good, even if it's only temporary. So I don't want quick fixes in the sense of change your mind and your life and everything will, will be better. I want you to do something in your life. And I think your mind will be changed and your feelings will change as a result of those behaviors or, or doing something different. And change, change can be enlightening, empowering, kind of, it can it can re it can restart you uh, in yeah. in theory well it's interesting because when I, in one of the five chapters at the second part of the book i talk about learning and growing as one of the things we need to do more of if we want to address this problem of languishing but it's interesting i've done several studies about changing and and making improvements in in your lives and in yourselves and I write in that chapter about the paradox of improvement, Carl. I don't know if, if you ever come across this in your own work, but once you start seeing people making improvements in their lives, they see themselves growing and becoming better people. But they'll talk about how it doesn't feel good to change. And when you compare them, them when you ask them, well, how, how do you felt now compared to where you were maybe a year ago and in your feelings, they would say they felt better when they weren't making changes. But, and, and that's ironic because making improvements you would think lead to feeling better, but it takes time actually to feel better about a new version of yourself and your life. And that's the point I make in that chapter. If we don't, if we stopped prioritizing happiness and, and prioritize functioning better in our lives. Um, this sense of personal growth is, is happening when you make changes, but feeling good takes time to catch up to you, so to speak. And the key word there is that you're saying is it takes time and people have to accept the fact that it takes a little bit of time. And we live in a world of quick fixes, of fast fixes, of all of that. And we know yeah. it takes a little bit longer. Um, chat me through the, the salutogenic process. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And are you are you talking about the last half of the book when, where I talk about well things you can do? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, this process of of focusing on flourishing is is what you call what I would call a salutogenic mm -hmm. uh, pro process, and it's about emphasizing 
health, not addressing illness. And to address this thing called mental health, I talk about the five vitamins, in part because I, I view languishing as a deficiency. It's kind of like anemia. I describe it in the book. It's kind of like anemia. When you don't have enough iron in your blood, you feel really weak and sluggish and stagnant. And languishing is kind of like a sluggishness and weakness where you don't have uh, enough of the, I would call them flourishing vitamins. Mm -hmm. So, and this comes from scientific studies where we study people who are flourishing. What are the things they do weekly? And not only do flourishing people prioritize learning something new every day or quite frequently each week, they prioritize, uh, uh, of course, social connection and socializing. Everyone's talking about now that as they to address loneliness. But what they prioritize in particular are, are warm, trusting relationships and they prioritize uh, a sense and a feeling of belongingness in their community so that connections aren't just about the interpersonal. It's about the place that you, you call home when you're not home. That's community. And they prioritize a sense of belonging. And they do that quite frequently and, uh, or if not weekly. So that's the second vitamin. The third is um, they help others or they help something. They dedicate themselves on a regular basis to volunteering or helping some cause in um, small or large. And it's, uh, there's something about dedicating a piece of ourselves to a cause or someone else's well-being or and, and leaving something better behind that really helps us flourish. So, and the fourth is 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 this thing called I call transcendence. Um, I don't like the word because it really it means everything and nothing. To, but what it really is that flourishing people prioritize some aspects of spirituality or religion quite regularly. What they're trying to do is practice um, something that encourages them to reduce their ego or, or their self centeredness and encourages being or becoming a better person in an ethical or a moral sense. And last but not least, they prioritize the fifth vitamin, which is play. And as adults, this word play has been left behind. And by play, I mean, you engage in something where you, you leave behind this idea that you have to accomplish something, reach a goal, or be better than somebody else, what you're doing is something just for the sheer joy of fun and having fun and flexing the muscle of imagination. There's nothing there that you've said, you know, to buy. You're not buying anything. Of the five no. vitamins you've mentioned, there's no, I don't, anything costs anything amongst them, which is fantastic. And it's about very much giving back. It's about centering yourself. It's about slowing it all down. It's about fun, imagination, play, all the things that we lose that creates that sense of blah, that sense of, you know, that, that, that sense of uh, being stuck, I suppose, for, for want of a better word. Yeah. 
I like the way you put it. And in, in early reviews said that it was rather confusing what I wanted them to do. And I, I was quite shocked by that because it's really five very simple things. Help something or someone, learn and keep learning something new, connect and socialize, play, and engage in something spiritual or religious. And those are things that you, you do and anyone can do. And when I end the book, I also talk about it's good to create your own communities of flourishing where you prioritize these five things and you share in the activities and do them with others. Is it fair to say that life is, I suppose, pushing us or creating that sense of languishing, the way we live, the way that it's, there's, there is a lack of fun, a lack of imagination, uh, a work perspective, you know, just the way that we live our lives or the way that the world is nudging us to live our lives is fueling that sense of languishing. It, it is in part because I think if we were to ask some of your listeners, um, do they do some of these things? And I suspect they would say yes. And then I would ask, um, is there a proper time and a place where, where you do some of these things? And I bet they would say yes. And do you schedule some of these things? And I would say, think they would say probably yes. And therein lies the problem. We put these things on our calendar and we, we suggest that there's the proper time and place outside of work and all the other serious things that we have to do and more important things we have to do. We will do those five vitamins when I have enough time and energy. In other words, when there's a little leftover for me to be a human being, I think we're doing the wrong thing. If you're doing those five vitamins and you're putting them last, and there's not a place in your daily life for them to fit naturally, um, there's something wrong with our lives. Because those are the five things that make us fully human, right? Um, human beings have always been engaging in something where they're trying to transcend and understand their place in the universe and the mysteries of life. Human beings for throughout history have always been engaging in some form of act leisure, if you will, or play. Human beings have always needed and will always need to learn and grow. But we think of that as something instrumental rather than something I do just for me and so on. So I, even if you're doing these five vitamins and, and it's not addressing languishing, you may be scheduling them and leaving them as the last thing you do when you have energy and time. And I think that's the wrong thing, Carl. Yeah, it, 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 it brings back that phase of working to live or living to work. And, you know, which one do you choose, which is important. Uh, final question. In the chapter on relationships, you talk about the difference between friend and friendships. I think our viewers or our listeners will be intrigued by that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think if, if you were to ask people, um, um, do you have a friend and friends? I think um, we all have friends, but... Um, and connections and people that we may feel somewhat comfortable sharing parts of our life with. But this issue of friendship is where we get into the issues of, of building warmth, trust, and belonging. And I like to think of warmth and trust, and in particular warmth, is what is it that gives our relationships the heat that's necessary to make them live, even when times get cold, literally and figuratively. And I talk about how of things in, in the book about relationships. For instance, we kind of take it for in, uh, granted, but 
equality is a, is a word that I think we, we need to sort of think deeply about. And friendships of all walks of life, really meaningful friendships can happen between people who in, in, in life have economic or educational differences. But what those things don't matter when you're together. There's a sense of I'm you and you are me. And I, I don't know how better to describe that, that that's a real sense of equality. I leave my differences at the door when I enter into to this, this meaningful abode that we call friendship. We are equal. It breaks all bar- it breaks down all barriers. Of course it does. Yeah. It does. And I think that's really an important state of mind that you are not your roles or your educational or your accomplishments. In the end, you are just a person who are, is who ent- enters into these roles, but those roles shouldn't define you. And 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 I think a, a human being who can put their role in their accomplishments at the door is a person who can have really meaningful connections. And I had that with the professor that I talk about in my book. Um, big age difference, big educational difference. But I, when he, when I met him, I could tell that he, he saw in me the potential for me as a young student to become him. There's, I can't tell you how, how beautiful that feeling was. He saw in me the potential to be him. And it, that sense of equality at that moment, his belief that the differences that were there between us really didn't matter. It was just time and age that separated us was such a beautiful thing. And it's never left us. It's, it created a very, very lasting relationship. We all need someone like Professor Rife to guide us on a path in life and to see something <laughs> in us. That is for sure. Corey, it's been great to catch up. The book is Languishing How to Feel Alive Again in the World That Wears Us Down. And it's available online and nationwide as well. It's been fantastic to catch up with you. Stay safe and look forward to meeting in person at some stage in the next few years. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. A fascinating insight into languishing. Lots to think about, lots to talk about. Have a wonderful week. As ever, you know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealth.independent.ie. And we'll see you next week for more Real Health. Sláin de Fóle.